Welcome to the Freedom to Learn podcast, exploring freedom, autonomy and social justice in education. This recording was made at the 2020 Freedom to Learn online forum. So welcome to We Research. Um, so I'm Mira Chidasama. So really the aim of this session is to look at practitioner-led research and student research coming together and finding that kind of middle ground and really sharing where those ideas have come from for myself, but also how that can how we can do that in the spaces that are available to us. So I'll get started. Who am I? So I am Mira Chidasama. Um, I'm an English media and film studies teacher at Oak Grove School in Milton Keynes. I'm also a research lead and the editor of Innovate Journal. I'm an associate researcher at Children's Research Centre, which I'm really proud of. Um, it gives me a really lovely position in conducting research with students on a more regular basis throughout the academic year. And in doing so, my work with children as researchers has kind of, and I'll talk about as to where that kind of stemmed from. So my work really with children as researchers started with Lucinda Kerawala, and this was a lady who had worked for a vast amount of time at the Children's Research Centre, who, and she gave me a book called Developing Children as Researchers, a practical guide to help children conduct social research. I'd already done research of my own through my MTeach um, and through my own teaching practice, but I hadn't really considered the role of students in research as, part of, as not just participants of research, but as people who could really come along this journey. And reading this kind of practical guide for, te for teachers really gave me a better understanding as to how students could become social researchers with practitioners who are, you know, looking to be researchers too. So children have frequently been the passive objects or subjects of adult-led research and I began to kind of question this, especially when I was working with, Lee, with Cindy in our, in our own piece of research. The paper that I had read for this um, was Sue Bucknell's paper um, and she kind of goes through a lot of these roles in which children play within research and I was really interested as to how I could better or provide more opportunities within my own teaching practice for students to be a part of research. So my own research really came from when working with the Children's Research Centre at the Open University and um, we did a little, we did a project, sorry, a research focused on using a piece of software called Talk Factory and at the heart of this research we were really focusing on the students' experiences and perspectives of using interactive software for classroom discussions. So, so what role did students actually play in this research? Yes, they provided evidence, um, in most cases when students are providing evidence in, in social research. But the focal students that we had, the four focal students that we had, they were really steering the research in the sense of giving us feedback through our discussions. So Cindy would have small focal groups um, discussions with them. And also at the end of our research period, they delivered a presentation in which they were presenting their findings and they were moving around the room and they were able to invite a discussion with other students that was recording on their experiences of the Talk Factory software that we had been using over the course of a term. That was just one example of using research with students and it, it, felt, it felt really, really lovely as a practitioner to let go 
a little bit and also a little bit daunting at times to let go. But actually, once I did that, you realize there's so many more opportunities that you can really allow students to have if you give them the space to do so. And opening that forum was really lovely across the, across the space of a whole term. And I think there's sometimes there are strengths and there are weaknesses and there's kind of threats to having giving students the space to, to conduct their own research or to be part of research. And that's something that we will explore in a little while. But from my own experience, it's been really fruitful, even though there have been hiccups along the way and there's been issues along the way, it has been really fruitful. So a little moment to discuss if that's okay, if you're happy to, to discuss or to have your ideas shared. On the topic of, if we are to have students as researchers and as independent researchers, sorry, what, do, what are some of the things that we need to consider? What are some of the areas that could be of real kind of strengths to this? What could be areas of weaknesses? What could, where could those opportunities be? And is there any threats to having students as researchers or as it, or being part of independent researchers? Feel free to chip in, guys. Is there any areas or have you had any experience of having students as researchers? Uh, yeah, quite a lot, really. Can I? Excellent, of course. Yeah. Um, you know about Mike Fielding and Sarah Bragg's work, do you? Students as researchers that they've they've written up quite extensively. Um, it was interesting. This I did a project for QCA qualifications and curriculum, something or other. I forget what they were. I don't think they exist anymore. In about two thousand and four, I got commissioned to do a piece called. Um, to find out uh, how kids felt they could best communicate their feelings about the school curriculum to government. And it was quite interesting. I went to about 12 schools, some of whom had uh, students as researchers group. They were particularly strong in Bedfordshire. Um, there were quite a few schools with students as researchers groups. Uh, it was interesting that when I talked to the kids, um, what do you think is the most effective way of students to become involved in decision-making in your school? And the students of researchers came out far more strongly than kids who were on the student councils that they often felt weren't listened to at all, whereas the student research groups really knew what they were talking about because, you know, in the past, students have been the data and the idea of students being the initiators of research projects is quite new then. So everything you say makes complete sense. If you like, I've still got copies of this QCA report. Um, I forget the kids. The, I let the kids give it a title in the end, um, and they called it something we could be interviewed by aliens as long as they listened. There was this strong feeling that the kids weren't listened. That was the title the kids gave it. And when I sent the report to QCA, they scrapped the kids' title and called it some pompous long thing about uh, listening to children, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've still got some copies of it. I'll happily send you one. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry I jumped in a bit late, but I agree with everything that you've said. No, thank you. That'd be really lovely to read. I really appreciate that. Did you find any, what were some of the hurdles in that? Can I ask, is there some of the hurdles that you faced when students were leading research or did you find there any barriers? Yeah, I actually did a bit myself. I was so impressed by what I found. It's always the way with research for government. They want the report by yesterday. So you don't really have time to do things all that well. Um, but I thought just for fun, um, 
I uh, set up a little students' research project in a primary school in Bradford where there was already a students' council. So the students' council took control of it. And at the same time, um, we made use of another piece of legislation that was passed in 2002, which is to allow kids to sit on governing bodies. So we were able to plug together kids being associate governors on the governing body, kids identifying what they felt needed to be improved in the school, so creating a students as researchers group, at the same time working with the students council, which was keeping the whole school informed. It was about 350 kids in this Bradford primary school. It worked like a dream. I mean, for the first time, the governors started listening to kids. For the first time, the kids be began to believe they had a voice at every level of decision making. And then the parents got involved. And the, really, the students as researchers became the leading group for change in the school. It was really fascinating. The school abolished its school uniform. Um, you know, Gove wouldn't have been too happy about that. But that was one of the things... The kids, the parents and the governors all agreed they couldn't see it achieving much, just tensions and arguments, and it was pretty pointless. <laughs> so that went. Um, they organised um, a bit more specialist teaching for music. This was a primary school, and there was, they discovered that some of the teachers weren't at all comfortable with doing music. Um, and so one of the teachers became the music specialist, um, they weren't colossal changes, but they were nonetheless the changes that affected teaching and learning. The problems, uh, it does cause some anxiety in some schools. For example, the school, one secondary school in Bedfordshire, um, part of their research project was what makes an effective lesson in our school. So kids began sitting in on, uh, on teachers on lessons yeah. making notes, kind of mini, mini kid Ofsted approach. Um, and some teachers refused to take part in it, but some teachers didn't. And what happened in this big school, I won't name it here, but this big school in Bedfordshire, um, was that some staff volunteered to take part. They found it had an enormously beneficial effect on their teaching. For example, one history teacher in his 60s who'd been teaching for years the kids pointed out to him that he always spoke to people on one side of the classroom and ignored people on the other. He'd not realised this in years of teaching and he acknowledged that it was the case, so he changed his teaching practice. And as some teachers saw that really this was nothing to be afraid of and it could actually be very beneficial in terms of relationships between kids and, kids and staff, uh, more teachers became involved. So I think you have to be prepared for teacher anxiety when, yeah. when kids initiate the research and when it starts trespassing into territory that the teachers regard as absolutely theirs, like teaching styles in classrooms. But nonetheless, uh, the evidence is that you can produce slow and positive change as long as you don't cause too much anxiety in the teaching staff too quickly. I agree. It's having kind of a bottom-up approach. That's exactly the approach I've been taking so far. So as a part of coming out of this in children as researchers, my aim was to have a young researchers club in the school that I'm in. And actually the research that I had done with students in the parts that I've just presented to you, there I did have an occasion where a parent 
who was also a teacher at the school, was quite anxious about her son being part of a, a researching class. And actually trying to dispel some of the myths around research is kind of, you almost feel like a custodian of it, where you're having to kind of always come up against people's ideas of, of research and thinking that it's always going to cross over ethics. But being really clear and transparent, I think it provides opportunities to have conversations with colleagues and, your, and other people within the school that actually research isn't going to be in and be prying onto private spaces but actually we're working together to make the spaces that we are sharing those communal spaces better for us so that teaching and learning can look better for all of us moving forward has anyone else go oh, go on yeah no, i completely agree sorry i haven't gone away i'm just in my bookshelf here i'm looking for my... no problem sophie did you have something to say yeah, I was just going to say that I think from my experience, the threat in this is sometimes to the, is around, can be around ego, basically, and agenda and sense of control. And, and I think that, you know, traditionally, the power dynamics in school are really clear that the, the role of the adult, the role of the child is quite well defined. And doesn't really allow for a culture where young people are active and have a voice and can influence basically because it sort of depends on the idea that actually they can't and that they will just receive and accept what's accept the circumstance and the condition that they that they find themselves in and yeah. I think like my my experiences around how to make sense of that in terms of intersectionality and in terms of prejudice and discrimination against children and young people and so I guess the threat is to the status quo in a way and to like you were saying before do adults like to what extent can adults let go of, of control and and how far are they willing to to be influenced by um young what young people express and the direction that young people might want to go in which could be really different to what they would like what the adult would like <laughs> um, open to change right so having that transparency yeah. and being completely open to change and I think I think it's been easier with newer trainees coming in so that kind of embedding that into practice so I also train English teachers coming into the practice but I think that's really something is trying to make sure that from the get-go in their teaching practice that we're always trying to never get to a point of where you're kind of stuck in this routine and you're kind of following a way of teaching but being open to to inviting a discussion with students so that's something that i'm always really passionate about if you don't mind i'm going to just move forward a little bit and having a little dive deeper into kind of overcoming some of the barriers and some of the things that i've tried to try to do over the last few years really in the where i am and, and what i'm trying to do so how can we overcome some of these barriers? I've always tried to keep the, po the process completely transparent for students with parents and guardians, colleagues in SLT. And that's from a very much a teaching perspective here that keeping this as, as clear as possible, whether that be through written communication, through having fully signed consent forms or having parent guardian meetings, I think as much as we can do to open up a space for dialogue and discussion, is that that is, is paramount to moving this forward. Dedicating time for students to ask questions and query research design and inviting that critical thinking. I think before I was very much, we have a little bit of time for this and then we kind of move into the content. But I've realized my work with Cindy has meant that 
no, allow as much time as needed for students to think and to talk things around research design and around the questions that we are wanting to probe as much as possible. And, and it's okay to do that, even though we feel pressured as practitioners to get through a, a, a scheme of work or a scheme of learning. It's absolutely fine to have those initial discussions, whether at the beginning, but also all the way going throughout the entire piece of research. Because if you don't do that, I think we're losing trust with students if they are coming, becoming researchers within that research project or a research design, or if they want to even take part in their own research moving forward. What are the changes needed for teacher researchers? As a teacher researcher, I've noticed that sometimes having to change your seating plan, depending on if you're filming students or not, considering where students sit, moving that around a little bit, considering the layout of your room, um, conducting a trial and a pilot study things are not always going to go right and I realized that really early on as much as you have a lovely idea in your head when you start to put that into practice it never never goes to the way that you really wanted it to so actually going to do a pilot study and allowing students to lead with that pilot study is really insightful and a really lovely process and being open to the fact that we're learning together and that you're a, you're a learner as much as they are is really lovely it's a lovely position to be in and start to create a conversation with your line manager, with SLT, or anybody else within your space to, to work together with. Oh, I keep doing this. I'm really sorry that I keep doing this. Pause share. My holiday emails have popped through. I'm really sorry. Um, so trying to create a conversation as much as possible, but also allowing action to, to happen. So not just, I think I'm very much in a position now where there's been a lot of conversation, but how do I implement action in the spaces that are available to me? And I guess these are some of the things that I'm doing, especially through Innovate Journal, trying to get teachers to commit to conducting their own research, but now inviting more students along the way in that process. So my second question, I guess, is open for a conversation. What area of your practice could you research with students or what area, if you're not a practitioner in a school, what area would you like to research with students? I'll give a couple of minutes to have a little think, but feel free to kind of chip in for another kind of five to seven minutes of discussion. Yeah, the, um, I've been working in Scotland for decades, despite my English accent, in primary, primary education. We've gone okay. through a big curriculum, a huge curriculum change, which was, and this hugely interests me. The answer to your question I'm going to give is something basically obvious to in a sense, anything. You can research anything. Yeah. And now the thing, the big theme of many long time in primary education, my big theme of all is purpose. So it's trying to move away from learning to purpose, that children owning uh, what they do, but then owning it within a structure. And of course, there is the framework of the curriculum. So it, what I've become quite interested in is inquiry that's moving beyond just inquiry, but into research in which the children are framing their own investigations into what they're learning. So obviously the teacher's in the background, but the pupils, the children become more into the foreground. And in a sense, we've done a, a, a huge amount of actual well, research or practitioner inquiry, pupil inquiry, and it's almost reframing education itself, which is why, why I've decided to very pleased to be part of this. So that's just my, my, my intro, intro comment. 
you're absolutely right students are more than able to research anything that they like and giving under under our current system under the national curriculum but also providing that structure as a practitioner who may have that knowledge that they are yet to learn and I think it's really nice to be able to scaffold that in so that they feel fully informed into that process and something that I'm really keen on doing with other practitioners is trying to make so through Innovate Journal I was trying to make teachers as fully research informed as possible and trying to do that in a kind of a drip feed manner so they feel fully informed before they feel really confident in leading students on supporting students to lead their own research so it's interesting you say that um really nice thank you for that is there anybody else yeah uh, actually i'm in the middle of my own research i'm finishing my master's in education here in finland to be a classroom teacher and i'm doing right now my own research on self-reflection so i was thinking that uh, if i would be working in the field that would be such an interesting thing to to bring to research with the students on on how they can use self-reflection for their own development and and also how to re-understand realities right because sometimes uh, that could be the beginning point like to understand ourselves to start understanding the outside world so in that sense i would that would be something i could definitely do when or when i will be in the field and yeah and, and bring it forward I really like that absolutely and looking at reflective practice not only for teachers but also for students and how do we embed that more regularly yeah something along that, those lines really nice yeah, yeah I really like that idea thank you for that Bruno thank you could I chip in a comment on that of course yeah yeah what I'd like to do is chip in on, on that and also with Jerry when we said what can we learn um, and what can we make as a topic the interesting comment I'd like to pick up from what Jerry said as soon as you teach children are doing something for real, they have purpose. One of the very first things that those children were learning was about research ethics. They're looking at the boundaries between being a researcher and then they're, they're participants in a process where they actually have responsibilities to those people whom they're researching. And that's what came across once the, te the children were researching, um, teaching and learning styles in classrooms. They were learning that for real. They were learning research ethics by doing it for real. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing here, isn't it? When they feel like what they're doing is going to impact real life or it's going to have their actions yeah. is going to impact teaching and the learning not only for themselves but for other people around them, that sense of responsibility, it becomes radiating because then other students want to be a part of that too and that's really lovely to see. And we understand it's a, yes. it's a real community practice here. It's not just reliant on one individual. And that's what I meant really at the beginning with We Research, that it takes a whole community. So it's a community-based approach. And the more that we invite this discussion, the better it can be. And yes, there are barriers and there are threats, but it can be solved. And we have to figure out a way that we could do this in order to move things forward. So thank you so much once again. Yeah. So, and that looked at my why, so that's the why there, we've already done for me. So really looking at getting involved, I've kind of whipped through that in that half an hour, but I was really looking at in the ways in which that, of how to get involved and how to really develop your own research process. And that's something that I'm really passionate about through Innovate Journal in looking at how other people, practitioners or students of education or, or whatever area of your study is to look at the ways in which you can start a conversation with the people around you and to be able to design your own research design that includes students to be a part of it. 
So on our on Innovate Journal's website, we do have a hundred plus questions to get the ball rolling. Um, but what I would really like to do is to maybe think about if there is an area or a topic or a discussion where you are going to research with students, um, how would you kick it off the ground? How would you get that conversation growing? And that's something that I would like to maybe explore some time with. I think I've under-anticipated how quick we've gone through this. So is there an area of research that you think that we could, well, go on, Sophie. Yeah, I was just going to ask you a question, actually. It's around because with Freedom to Learn, we have this two sides of what we do. One is around supporting um, innovative human centred practice within mainstream education. And then the other side is around supporting and networking people that aren't in mainstream education, but who are education practitioners of some kind. So that can even be an unschooling parent in their home with their family. It can be people setting up self-directed consent based education settings that are really contrasting to mainstream school but just as much focused on education and learning and and I think one of one of the things that I'm aware of is that there's a certain um um you know there's more there's there's a, a validity that comes from research that is framed in particular ways and takes place in certain spaces and a challenge to folk that are that are researching outside of that framework but who have really rich um knowledge or observational research um, that's happening informally that is is um, so interesting because there is more freedom in that place like there's more freedom to actually look what observe children and consider education from a more open perspective in a way um, and I just wondered what your thoughts were on how how um, the more informal and observational and more radical research can can be valued and can complement the more formal and institutionalized research so that there's a you know that so that what, what does that collaboration look like um so that all of those researchers feel respected and valued in in what they're bringing to the table in terms of understanding children and learning and education and adults in that in that experience it's really interesting you bring that up because that was the conception of innovate journal um, because when I was reading a lot of the academic journals and I was speaking to a lot of teachers about reading research, there was a lot of conversation that it was, wasn't as appealing, it was hard to understand, that it felt like it was a world away from the experiences that they were having. And that's when I made, that's when I re, kind of redesigned Innovate Journal to, to make it more accessible to teachers and to break down this conversation that it doesn't have to be in this world of academia as much as it that is absolutely respected and it has a space but there is a space for like you said the more informal research where we're starting to use those observations using your own experiences your knowledge bases that is equally as valuable and I think I at the moment in the position that I'm in I'm able to touch into the academic world but also have a, a real feel for that kind of radical I guess the radical areas of informal research that is, I think, equally beneficial and more because it allows you to have that reflective practice because it allows you to stop and think about the spaces that you're, you're living in and it allows you to think about actually is what I'm doing actually beneficial? How is what I'm doing having an impact on those around me? And I think that's really a key part of that type of and that level of research. And I think it is really influential and I think it has a real, it has a great impact into the way that, even onto the impact of academia, I think it has an impact there because without that, we're, it's almost 
that that process allows you to begin those first stages of being and being informed and I think that's what's really nice to then then there's like a a step up as you keep going through this research process but we need that 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 beginning area but not I don't even think it's in its infancy I think it can stand on its own if I'm being really honest and I think there is a place for it and I think it should be valued Sometimes I'm fighting for it to be valued by more people. That I, think, I feel like I'm doing. I think the point you made, Sophie, was really, really valid. I think the issue is, is, is even with, even if we take that representation of lived experiences outside of formal education spaces, which aren't always recognised as legitimate within mainstream academic research, the problem is, is even within educational research. You look at the history of Vera, for example, practitioner-based research is sort of seen as the poor sister of the pure, rigorous, theoretical research. And the issue with Vera, for example, sorry, um, I hope no one's here from Vera, <laughs> is, you know, some of the, 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 the more organic networks and, and, and informal spaces like the one we are in today, they're not, there's not the same level of support and accessibility in terms of, um, you know, if you're an independent researcher, getting, you know, ethical approval can be really difficult for a project. Um, you know, the cost of subscription to an organisation like, like, for example, Beira is £100 um, a year. To even go to some of the events is, you know, £50 minimum per an event. So they're not accessible spaces even within mainstream research. I don't, I think the answer is... I, I think more cooperative working across groups is really important, but I I don't know what the solution is to that. I think the legitimacy of certain pieces of research over others is also very problematic, and I, I don't have all the answers, but I wish I did. No, absolutely, I agree with you, and I feel like there isn't that support and trying to create those links between that robust system of, of academic research to the organic so the organic parts and the informal research is really important. And again, I don't know what the solution is. I think I've tried to make Innovate Journal a part of the solution in trying to provide some level of structure and support. But I mean, it's a long way to go. I think there's a lot more work to be done in trying to marry or find a bridge between the two. And I think, again, having trying to become, trying to start a conversation and trying to have more things like this where we can really build uh, a dialogue about topics like we research or collaborative research or student-led research is really important um but Sophie yeah I guess you've had me and Amber on both sides of that question yeah I think my experience of having been in both of these spaces is also that it's very gendered like for example a lot of the more organic informal observational high level of contact with young people work you know hundreds of hours of observation is being done by women and the in the more formal academic spaces the folk in positions of academic authority in my experience there's a male dominance there and and I guess like that's a real tension for me like I've seen you know that just um, I don't know like as an example when you're when you listen to someone who is an expert and they're referring to their 80 hours of contact or their 800 hours of of observation and then other people that 
other other researchers who aren't in a university who have literally thousands of hours <laughs> of situational observation knowledge from you know just thinking about unschooling um, parents or people in these alternative types of settings that they're just not platformed in the same way they're not there's there's a there's a you know I don't know it, I, 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 I think there's a feminist issue here um, to consider in research and and actually you know levels of experience and understanding and proximity to to the people that are affected and 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 the problems um i'm just fascinated by that and i, and I, I think it's it's yeah, I um haven't thought about it like that at all and i think that's really lovely to open up that idea because i haven't discussed i haven't thought about it in that manner at all so yeah it's really interesting and and i guess what you're saying is absolutely correct in the sense that there's in both senses people have when you when when you're doing organ, organic research, I feel that because you're in it and that's your everyday, there's something to be had for that process. Um, but then when you look at the academic research, whilst they may not be in it on that everyday, there's a different viewpoint that's being brought. But those viewpoints could be again jaded by by the by the the vast gender differences of the people doing it. You know. I think there are, can I jump in? Sorry, I'm waving my hand about for a bit. And yeah. I apologise for being male, but um, I, 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 and I really take what Sophie says uh, seriously. But I've just found students as researchers by Fielding and Bragg. Um, I noticed that Michael Fielding's name comes before Sarah Bragg's, even though he's F and she's B. So I suppose that's a point. But um, it is a really interesting text if you don't know it. I get two or three academic papers from people like Academe or whatever drop into my inbox every day. And usually, if they're worth much, um, you'll find Fielding and Bragg. I think Mike Fielding and Sarah Bragg are a bridge between the world you're talking about and academia. I think they're well respected in the academic world as sort of leaders in the field. And I was just thinking about the names that come to mind. Evie Mays in Australia, it would be the leading student as research student voice. Dana Mitra in the States. I think the women are moving in fast, even if they're not in control of it. So I, um, I just found, by the way, uh, the other piece um, students' views on how to express their perceptions of the curriculum to government. I, I did it for QCA 2004, and it actually says on the front, Project Director, Phoenix Education Trust, which I'd completely forgotten about, but I must send Sophie a copy. Interesting that government changed the title from We Could Be Interviewed by an Alien As Long As They Listened. That was the kids' title, as I think I mentioned. One of the most exciting things happening, I think, Mira, right now, is that kids from right outside the system, um, kids going on the streets are beginning to bring about change in policy. I see Tasha's question whether it can lead to policy change. I think it can, and I could give you, I won't bore you with examples, but the most obvious policy change in the last few days has been over the A-level results where young people have taken to the streets and have brought about change. And I think one of the most interesting groups at work right now is Teach the Future. I'm sure you know about it. It's a totally student-led group and a very even mix of male and female, um, pointing out that the curriculum is not preparing them for the future and pointing out that 
if you look at school mission statements about preparing kids for life, preparing active citizens, blah, 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 developing the passions of young people, and you look at what actually goes on in schools, which is endless 20 minutes of physics, 25 minutes of that, 25 minutes of that, completely fragmented curriculum that makes no sense even to the ones who are successful at it and get good exam results. I'm seeing young people are beginning to challenge challenge that and saying we need a different kind of curriculum. And of course, if they get in research projects, involved in research projects that highlight the disconnect between what schools say they do and what they actually do, then you're going to hit some interesting territory and probably quite a few sparks will fly. But as far as I'm concerned, the sooner the kids get to that place, the better. Absolutely. I think that was my ambition with Young Researchers Club. Unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, it meant that I couldn't really fully put my my thoughts to practice. So hopefully once we come back, it'll be a bit better. But absolutely, I think giving students more autonomy and agency within the education system and finding those spaces in which they can. And I think it could be just the smaller spaces to begin with. And as they grow, then it gathers momentum. And I think that's when we start to hear a voice. Um, and I know that you mentioned before where you're asking students to take notes on teacher observations. Um, and I guess for me, that's been a really slow process where approaching SLT and asking, can they go on the, the learning walks or around the school? Can they be a part of those meetings where we are discussing about teaching and learning training days throughout the year? It's those types of things that we need to get students more involved in so that there is a clearer clearer balance between what we are doing as teaching practitioners but also what students are receiving from from the education system and I think yes we have a national curriculum but I think sometimes we do a bit of a pick and mix of the of the national curriculum and what we want to move forward with happens to be the thing that we want to push for the next 10-15 years and I don't think it feels like it's being refreshed where we started enough for me and that's my personal opinion. Well, not by people like Gove and Williamson and, uh, and Nick Gibb, for God's sake. But what excited me about the, the recent demos over A-level is those students didn't ask for permission to go onto the streets with posters. They just went onto the streets with posters, won over the media and produced change, a government climb down, which is a fantastic example of what students can achieve. But perhaps I'm just a bit too much of a Jerry activist in my old age. No, not at all. I'm not at all. And I think there are more student-led groups. I think COVID-19 has created a, an odd space where more student groups and more student voice and more bottom-up strategies are coming up to the surface. And I think that's really lovely to see. Can I ask you a question, Mira, about um, creating psychological safety for students um, when they are sharing in a school environment about their experience of school? And if there's anything that you found useful to do in your practice to create that space so that to, yeah. to, in order for there to be an authentic exchange? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think at the heart of my practice, and it's like my number one rule for even when I'm like training teachers is build a rapport build an open clear rapport with students where you're able to have clear conversations and to be open with them as much as possible and I think if we do this thing of oh no we can't talk about we can talk about this especially if this comes from a secondary perspective and not a primary perspective um but having and building relationships that and a rapport with students 
from the get-go allows to have that psychological security so that and it doesn't that doesn't just rely on me that also relies on other form tutors and other teachers and knowing all the people that are involved in that student's school day so that it and I found that really really insightful actually during the break the COVID lockdown that even when the students felt that they were not able to maybe cope with being under lockdown there are other people that we rely on within our school network to support and help to, to encourage them to have a healthier life um but for me, that number one is just having that space to say, actually, you're fully able to talk about whatever you need to. And this is a safe space to do so. And if there's any concerns, then, of course, we have to flag them. But ensuring that we're having a really transparent process throughout teaching and learning. Because I think if we don't have that, I think that's where we have issues with trust and community forming and building something that is respectable. Because it's a profession. This is, you know, and... I would never want to do something that is going to work against neither teacher or student. And also, sorry, a part of that, Sophie, is not only having that in verbal, but also trying to explore other mediums in which students can be free to open to express themselves, whether that be through email or, you know, trying to write their ideas down or speaking to other students. I think as much as you can activate that, the better it is. I think it makes it a much more lively community to be in if we can kind of encourage students to express their voice in whichever medium they wish to do so. And yes, there are safeguarding issues around that, but again, having those conversations with correct people, so your safeguarding leads and your, you know, all of those people I think are so valuable and doing more of that, I think allows you, it, it, it kind of opens up the fear. I think there's a lot of fear in education that we can't do certain things because there's so many other barriers in place, but if we keep, keep things open I think it kind of it releases the fear a little bit it was so interesting on Monday morning we had a session as part of the forum um, where there was a discussion between a head teacher and two secondary school students that were from different schools okay. and and um, and the purpose of it was for them to be able to say to the head teacher like how can we act to actually change our school like how can we raise issues that we have and yeah. and then he shared his insight on that from his perspective and at the end of it um uh, the question was asked like what, what's the number one thing you would change like if you could change something tomorrow what would it be and all three people said I would like a more honest school I, I would like more honesty and openness and authenticity in my school environment and and it was just so sort of inspiring and affecting to hear that because of what it shines a light to an absence of in a way um, and that that there is a desire underneath from he the head teachers and the students to move to a place that where where there's more trust and openness and honesty, but that that's a journey from where where we are now and and um, yeah. I think sometimes the system hinders that. I think sometimes students think that we're the custodians of the of the current system and we're not. I think there's I think in having that conversation where we're saying we understand this is the system, we're fully aware this is the system, and unfortunately, whilst we cannot change this in the immediate but we can work together to ensure that when you leave school, that you are the best possible version of you. And I think it's having those types of conversations that help to move things forward and help. And I think research has a pro as a, is an avenue for that, if I'm being honest. Now you were kind of waving before. I thought you had something. Did you have something yeah, can, to say? Can I, make, can I make a comment here? And I, I, I'd be cautious of this word informal 
because what I'm the what I'm sure I'd like to raise is language registers, and that is um, I've actually worked in academia quite a long a long time ago, and then my main career has been in primary education, and it's found that we were always like the subjects of research. A point you made earlier, the point that I want to make here though is that we've been doing inquiry led pupil research as well is that, you, that it's, you're using different forms of language, but it can still be robust and rigorous. And there's really barriers in how we use language. In a lot of the academic world, and particularly research journals, you're using language in a way that's almost exclusionary. You know, it's not inclusive, let alone to children, it's not inclusive to adults and the teachers. A lot of it is very using, just using words in a way that say we're apart from you. So I, 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 I really, we need to look at, the modes of language, what language we use. And um, I just want to also add to you, are you aware of a group of um, people, mostly not in the UK actually, they've come to the kind of term called pracademia, and the pracademics. <laughs> I've been involved with them actually, they're both Canada, Australia, uh, particularly, and Hong Kong. So just sort of flagging that up, and um, if we can find a means of making getting in touch after this you might be quite interested in that absolutely thank you very much for the recommendation that's really nice and i think you are right i think there is such a marriage between the two but the language seems to be that thing that we're kind of missing out on you know for a part of it can i say, can I, uh, say a couple of things that i've just been listening i'm from australia uh, my name's Kay, and um it's interesting for us we've we're back at school we, we were not remote nearly as long as you guys have been and um we're not in our summer holiday, sadly. Um, but one of the things that I noticed in the time that we were on remote, that we opened up, um, we had chat rooms that our kids, I teach year six, that our kids were using. And since we've gone back to school, we haven't closed them down. And so um, there, there's like a conversation that never stops now. I mean, even in the time I've been sitting here, it's been binging off. And, and I think that, that that openness, there it goes again, that openness to... Um, having conversation with kids and the less formal is really helpful is a really helpful way to kind of bridge those gaps and the other thing I was thinking as I was listening was um, if we want our students to be confident as researchers we actually have to help our teachers be confident as researchers and what um, part of what I do is um, is help teachers to think about what research looks like for them and then encourage them to think about how they can communicate that with other people. Because uh, if you haven't played in the academic world at all, it just seems all a bit too terrifying. Um, and it's just uh, like like this idea of lang the language of academia. It's just a language to be learned that, like anything else, that seems terrifying but isn't necessarily. So I just think the more that we can give teachers confidence the more then we can help our students be confident as researchers because i'm sitting here thinking started off when you asked um what area of practice could you research with students and i'm thinking of all these ideas and i'm thinking well that's a load of rubbish isn't it because it's that's still my ideas so it's being confident in a research process and then being confident in allowing other people to be practitioners so i just think it's kind of oh i guess food for thought from the other side of the world. Yeah, I have only one small question or comment. Uh, we are talking about research and connecting it straight with academia. Do you think would there be any space for some kind of research without the strong academic rules? Because it's true that academic 
the, uh, language is something you need to learn and academic discourse it's something you need to learn but then we are still under the i wouldn't say constraint but the rules right so would there be any space to at least free our minds out of those strong uh, conditions or rules i'm just asking this as a general one or would that sound like really out of place there's a simple answer to that yes does that help <laughs> <laughs> okay, but how, how can we do that? Because that's what I feel sometimes that we are, because we have grown to this idea, right? That research is academia and it's that knowledge and it's that uh, vocabulary or that uh, language. So how can we uh, go out of that paradigm to try to think, I don't know, like outside of that? It's kind of a, how do we decolonize research? Mm -hmm. For right. How do we decolonize even, research? But exactly, but even the decolonizing research that it's made with the rules of academia are following those rules, right? So it's that meta. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Let me give you an answer to that to see yes. if it helps. Yes. If you do a piece of research, you don't just do it for yourself, you do it for somebody else. There might be somebody who's yeah. commissioned that research, or you might be that you're trying to solve a problem, or it might be that somebody else is trying to solve a problem. And when you've done the research, you have a product. You might, it might be a report. The report might then be to a prototype or a new way of doing something. The point is, there's going to be a purpose to you doing the research. And then there's going to be a product. That product might just be a, a two-page article in a, in a magazine. It might not necessarily be in an academic journal. It may be in a magazine, as long as it's coherent, robust, evidenced. So my point is when I just said, yes, just do it. As long as you follow certain protocols, and ethics and you have some sort of framework it's all about you working out what it what that research is for and then just getting on with it and doing it in a way isn't that what Mira's innovate is all about isn't that what your your innovates all about Mira it's actually it's like not an academic journal but it's kind of a way to um, present the things you've learned in a different context and into a an audience who is going to be so relieved to read something from the innovate rather than and i think um, absolutely you know, stuff it's absolutely like, as much as the world of academia research is it, it is absolutely valuable and it, it it stands it stands as it is and i think what i think my focus is really is about allowing allowing those ideas and the design of research to to be made accessible to teachers and practitioners as well as children and to allow teachers and students to be to understand the value of research. I guess it's not even just away just away from the design, but more just the process of research and how valuable that that process can be in the space of teaching and learning, and in thinking about teaching and learning and moving that forward. And I think that's what's really important. I think sometimes it's not that it's easy to knock down the the academic world. I think, it, yes, it's there and it exists and it's respected. And my view right now is not to kind of knock it down. I think it's trying to open up a space now and say, actually, what is that midpoint? How do we, how do we create a bit more of a dialogue and to create more conversations and empower young people to use research to move teaching and learning forward? I think that's what, at the heart of what I'm doing, I think, at the moment. And like Kay said, kind of ensuring that, teachers feel really well informed about the research process. Oh, I forgot we've got a chat here going on. I wasn't able to see the chat because I just shared, shared screen. 
I've had my hand up on the participants list and I've got it up here. Oh, yes, Derek, go on. That's okay. I wonder what state uh, K came from because I'm very involved with Victoria and uh, the students, Students' Representative Council, the Victoria SRC, which holds conferences quite often, and with Roger Holdsworth at Connect, at Melbourne University produces a journal called Connect, and they developed an amazing programme um, called Teach the Teachers. Do you know about that, Kay? It's really interesting. It's teachers and kids working together on research projects, but the initiative very much coming from the students' uh, Students' Representative Council. And then there's another outfit called Student Voice Research and Practice um, run by Dana Mitra at Penn State University in the States. Um, they produce a journal. Um, and like Connect in Australia, these journals are a lovely mix of academia and unintelligible language and plain speaking seven-year-olds. Um, it's a really nice mix with the two learning to listen to each other. Anyway, two there, Connect at Melbourne and Student Voice Research and Practice uh, at Penn State. Both, I think, are very interested in your work. Derry, I'm a Sydney girl, so um, I'm oh, not from you, Melbourne. You um, well, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's interesting, uh, two years ago I did a research uh, um, on a girl in our school that was radically accelerated in maths from my class is 10 to HSC, which is our, what the last year of school maths. And we did a research project on that and we wanted to follow it up with one from that she would run. Uh, but I was doing it with someone from the university and the challenges of, of the whole ethics and stuff for her to become a self-researcher at the academic level, just it, it just became too hard but we could have done it a different way in a much more informal way, which I think is really what listening to Mira tonight and everyone else has got me, not tonight for me, uh, has got me thinking. So thanks, Mira. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. Hopefully it was a useful hour, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but I guess we'll come up to the end of the session now. Thanks so much. No, thank you. Thank you for everybody. and Thank you for contributing to the discussion. I really appreciate it. Thank and thank you, so you Mira, for, um, for putting this event into the programme. Um, it's so brilliant to have you here and to, um, to hear about your work and your thoughts about research. And, you know, this is such a great opportunity for collaboration, like you say, and um, just uh, doing it in different ways to bring more voices out, basically, is so empowering. Like, I love the idea of research, like being having an insight into research tools as a way to increase voices and in research. Um, to teachers and students it's awesome so thank you so much um, and if you've got any links that, that you would like to have shared to the Freedom to Learn Network Facebook group please um, uh, let me know drop them into the um, I know some, some have been dropped into the chat already but, um, but we love to follow up with the rest of the community um, with bits and bobs that are of use and I'll definitely share a link um, your link Mira um, to innovate for sure thank you very much excellent thank you so much guys Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freedom to Learn podcast. For more information about our work, check out our website at freedomtolearn.uk and find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.